You ready, Dave? Absolutely. Awesome, because we're going again with my friend David Tomasini. David, thank you for coming in, brother. Hey, thanks for dropping by the Italian Timmy's and picking up some donuts. It my looks pleasure. so freaking good. <laughs> oh, my God. Thanks for the invitation. No, we, we love it. We're glad yeah. you're here. You know, we don't normally... We, we Sometimes we drink coffee or a whiskey or we do something here depending on the time of the day. We don't eat a lot, eh? But I think there's going to be some lip smacking on the <laughs> mic today. <laughs> I got my eye on a butter tart, I think. Yeah, I got my eye on everything see. else. So, Dave, um, hey, just let us know off the top who you are, what you do, and where are you from? Well, um, I'm a Toronto guy. Okay. And um, been working here for the last, since uh, uh, 1987 is when we started up our, our, our company. I started flying in 1980. And uh, went up to the Arctic and did that whole bush pilot routine and for a few years. And then uh, decided to come back home and worked locally for a couple of companies. And then I had the crazy idea of starting my own business. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and here I am. Okay, so, and just to be clear, yeah. so people that are listening or that don't know you, you're a helicopter pilot. That's right, yeah. Um, where did you learn to do that? Like, I learned at Toronto at uh, Buttonville, Toronto Helicopters, and... Um, it was just one of those things that happened. I was in university. I was not very happy to be there. And I said, there's got to be something else I can do. So What were you doing in university? I was studying economics. Yes. Oh, okay. there's something better you could do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so it's either sell insurance or work in a bank. And yeah. I don't know. That wasn't for me. So I, um, I just drove by the airport one day and went in and they do this 20-minute uh, introductory flight. And I thought, well, let me try this. I was good on forklifts and bulldozers and tractors. And if that was related to that, I didn't know. But I went in for just for the for the hell of it. And uh, uh, the guy says, oh, you're going to be a good pilot. you got great hands. You're just, oh, yeah, you're born. You're a natural guy. Oh, wow. really? He was a good salesman. <laughs> so I went home and I told my dad. And I said, Dad, you know, he says, I'm going to be a great guy. I'm going to be a great pilot. And my dad said, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, anyway, worked out a deal. I started training and... Really, that, eh? That was it. I just and like, you just went in there on a whim. Yeah, just on a whim. I thought it'd be interesting. I kind of flipped the coin between helicopters and airplanes. Wow. And uh, for the once, you know, one of the few times in my life, the coin flipped good, and it worked out. Uh, pretty happy about that. So what, do you, what did hmm. you learn on back then? Back then, it was uh, the training helicopter then. It was a Hughes 300. Okay. The piston, the little piston two-seater. And uh, you spend most of your time on that, learning all the things you need to know. And then I got a couple of endorsements on a Hughes 500 and a Bell Jet Ranger. So that set me up for uh, going out looking for work and getting a job. And the Hughes 500 was the helicopter they used in Magnum PI. Magnum PI. Oh, yeah. darn. Give some yeah. reference. Yeah. It's a well-known Vietnam helicopter as well. Isn't That's right. It? Yeah. Yeah. Both both machines are, but the Hughes 500 is the, you know, the iconic. Yeah. Um, military helicopter at the time there so it's a lot of fun to fly it's it's fast it's powerful is that a turbine oh yeah yeah it's fast powerful you can do a lot of cool things with it and uh it's a nice little helicopter and then the jet ranger is that you know the classic thing that everybody knows about right and it's the standard of the industry that's what at that time everybody was getting into or flying and that's what you would start off with so i had a good background training background and then trying to get a job and and went from there. My first job was up in Yellowknife in the Arctic. I had never been north of Highway 7. Okay. So, 
I uh, ended up driving up there. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a bit of a drive. And uh, once I crossed the border from Alberta to uh, Northwest Territory, it's all gravel road. And I thought, what the hell did I get myself into now? And uh, and that was my start. That's probably the best thing I ever did. It was amazing. And what did you fly so, there? I Sorry, flew, but... No, no, no. No, I flew a uh, Jet Ranger. Okay. And uh, the stuff that we did up there was all... Um, Exploration work, but mostly moving uh, geologists around and, okay. and moving drills wow. and all that kind of thing. <clears throat> uh, wildlife work. Uh, some of the coolest things we did were looking for jeer falcons. Uh, the government was uh, doing surveys to find out, you know, how many they had, and they would tag them and then sell them to the Saudis. Oh wow! And uh, that was a big deal for a while. Why? What, what, what's that for? The Saudis? Like falconry? Like oh, yeah. okay. They hunt, right? Do they use them to hunt? Or they play around some with kind of sport. something like that, yeah. yeah. But it, for them, it's a big deal. Okay, wow, neat. So we would go out and find the nests, find the birds, tag them, and and you're, you're landing on cliffs and all kinds of cool things like that. Now you land and then you stand outside and you watch them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you must have seen some amazing stuff up there. It's 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 incredible. I, I appreciate it more now that than I did when I was there. Right. And uh, sure. But you know, it's completely unspoiled nature. You know, they go out there to work or whatever, but once you get past out of town, it is just nothing but barren land. It's lakes, uh, rivers, but just pristine nature. Yeah. You see uh, a lot of animal life in its pure form. Uh, hmm. A lot of times we'd be camping in the, right in the middle of a carib uh, caribou migration. And they're walking right by our tents. To just, they're just kind of beelining wherever they're going. Yeah. And uh, you go up there in the spring, you see the migrations of geese and ducks and uh, all kinds of things. It is just phenomenal. But if you haven't been there, you can't really appreciate. Yeah, I've never been there. Sure. In, in nature in its stand. And for a guy like me coming out of Toronto, it was such a, an eye-opening experience that I'll, I'll treasure forever. That's awesome. And be able to wow. work up there. Yeah, it's, it's just incredible. And how, how do you land a chopper on a mountain? Oh, depending where you are. I mean, there's little areas you can... Big enough that you can touch down like a you know a flat piece of rock or something like that or whatever. But uh, and that's it. You're just looking for something like that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever have to hover above something and a guy has to uh, repel repel in or something like that? Well, that, save a baby pterodactyl or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, we never really did that part. We did that kind of stuff when we started working in film working. Okay. Like that, yeah. Yeah. For sure. For, for normal stuff. No, we wouldn't do that. Okay. Yeah. And where about <laughs> where are you stationed in Northwest Territories? What's I was I living in Yellowknife. Yellowknife isn't that where Polly just moved to? Shout out to Paul Rutledge. Uh, do you remember Paul Rutledge, stunt guy, Yellow horse Knife. guy. Yeah, I think so. He just moved his family up there. Well, well he Yellowknife. went to Yukon. Was it Yukon? I thought it was Yellowknife. I'm sure he'll see this. Shit, correct that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was up there for I guess four years, and then I moved back to. Wow. Uh, I got a job uh, in Montreal, so I worked Quebec and northern Manitoba, toured around for a while, and then I decided to come home. So, like in Montreal, like what what kind of touring? Like what is it? Uh, that was just a, where the company was located. So we would work all over Quebec, working for you know, at that time uh, Hydro Quebec, and then northern Quebec and some of the settlements up there doing the same kind of stuff I was doing out of Yellowknife. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I had a very, very short stint working for Bell Helicopter in Calgary in my early 20s at their warehouse. Oh, yeah. And I got to meet a lot of pilots. And the one pilot, um, he walked with a bit of a limp, 
and I asked him if it was as a result of a helicopter. And he said, it sure was. He said, uh, young, and I don't mean young in age, I mean young in experience, pilots, the, the younger guys, less experienced, get the hardest jobs, he said. They, nobody, the experienced pilots don't want to do them, so they get you to do it. That makes sense. And eh? he was flying telephone poles and putting them into the sides of mountains. And he was very low and his chopper cut out and it, he ended up rolling down the mountain and broke his ankle. It's an interesting story. Sounds like uh, a decent injury, all things considered. Yeah, well, he's maybe lucky to be here, to be honest. But I, well, it just reminds me when you said they put you up there to fly, land on mountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we had it one job. We were flying up and down the Mackenzie River Valley and uh, servicing all the um, uh, microwave towers that were used in that time for telephone and so on. And they were always situated on the peak of, they call mountains. They're not really mountains in that area, but they're high enough. They're, well, and you have to fly up there and drop these guys off and wait for them to fix the generator or whatever. But you got to learn, you know, that this, the winds up there change, you know, quite dramatically. You've got to be able to work with that and and visibilities and, and so on. So it's, it takes a bit of getting used to. Just part of the skill set that you develop as you're flying a helicopter. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be able to do things. And that's part I really liked about it because it's always changing. My idea of a, you know an airplane job is runway to runway and, okay, good enough. But helicopter yeah. guys are always doing something every day. It's just so dynamic that, you know, you always... Always work. You're never great. You're always getting better, learning your skills, learning stuff, and uh, and uh, that's the challenge that it, that's always a, you know I found attractive. What do you think of some of these guys now? I love watching the guys that are flying for a Red Bull, you know, and they're dropping snowboarders up at the top, and and then they're just they're upside down flying down the mountain, you know, and this guy's doing flips and barrel rolls or something now. That's pretty wild stuff. Yeah, that's the elite group, you know, the guys that, that do stuff like that. They're they're few and far between. They're pretty, unbe- they're yeah. pretty skilled and, and good at what they do, obviously, because, you know, they wouldn't be around if they weren't. Uh, sure, sure. You know, they're pushing themselves and the aircraft to their limits, and they're not afraid to do that, which is pretty cool. Guys like us, we get really conservative. We just want to be able to get home at the end of the day, and we don't, we don't fool around anymore. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. <laughs> that's crazy yeah. but same guys uh, Red Bull the guys that do that stuff on motorcycles oh yeah of course you know, of just, course I'm just gonna go to Zares but still when, you, when you're when you practicing something like that in the air mm. you know practicing on a motorcycle yeah you know, I don't know yeah crazy so Dave uh, just so people can get a, people that don't <clears throat> know helicopters can get a sense of what you're talking about like you're actually using all four limbs to do this yeah. And uh, your feet control the rear rudder? Yes, it's a coordination exercise, and especially uh, some of the more uh, uh, utilitarian machines that aren't that too complicated. You're, you're, you're working your feet on the pedals so that they're controlling the tail rotor. We got the other hand on the collective and maybe sometimes even on the throttle, and then you have your other hand on the cyclic, which is directional control. You move one control, you got to move the others as well. So that's a balance between everything else to make the machine perform like you want. And um, it's, you know, I consider it compared to riding a motorcycle and driving a car. Okay. It's a balance thing. I uh, never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the perfect example, but if you want to explain it to somebody, you know, you can drive a car 
But then if you want to drive the motorcycle, it's the next step up. You got to balance, you got to throttle brakes, you got to stay upright and not fall down, all that sort of thing. So in the helicopter, compared, let's say, to an airplane, um, you have an extra degree of coordination to to fly straight, to, to do an approach, to take off, to hover, and do some of the jobs that you would do with a helicopter. And it's just a matter of uh, working all four controls at once and doing it in a way that's sufficient for the helicopter, smooth, um, you know, that sort of thing, and be able to control your movements. And the more time you spend, like I said, you're never great at what you do. You're always getting better. And the more time you have, the more experience you have, and the more activities you do, you, you have a great, you know, you develop that level of control. Okay. Yeah. So the cyclic, you mentioned it, it also has the throttle? No, the collective. It's just so oh, the, the collective. It'll be the stick on, this, on the side here. So when I pull up, it... It turns the blade so the helicopter lift up vertically, but it also controls the engine power. So the more, you know, the faster you want to climb or the faster you want to travel, there's more power you're going to take. So that's coordinated on the uh, on the collective. On turbine engines, it's auto. You know, the engine is automatically governed by how much you move that collective. And the cyclic is how you steer the helicopter. If you look at a let's say a dinner plate, uh, if it's straight and level, the, hover, the helicopter is hovering. When you move the cyclic, that plate moves in the direction that you move your cyclic, and that's how the helicopter will move around and, and change direction. So if uh, you push to the, let's say to the right, the helicopter will, will turn to the right. And, um, and then the pedals uh, basically work the tail rotor. So when you're a hover, the natural tendency of the helicopter is to spin in the opposite direction of the main rotor because of the torque of the engine that's mm -hmm. driving the main rotor. And it doesn't have, you're not on the ground to stop that from happening. So in the air, you need something to counteract <clears throat> that torque. And that's what the tail rotor does. So sitting on the ground, yeah. because there's friction, yeah. it won't turn? No. Okay. But as soon as you apply power, you're lifting up and however you've lost it'll that contact, it'll, it'll spin on its own. So you counteract that with the tail rotor. Jesus. And the more, let's say, let's say the heavier the helicopter is, you'll need more power to turn it, it's going to be more torque to the main rotor, so you have to adjust your pedals accordingly. So you always, every time, like you say, you move one control, you move the other, the other two. And at first, when you're flying, it's it's a thought process. You got to think about it because you know, you're always doing this kind of stuff. Right. And then after a while, you build up some time and experience. It becomes natural. Well, it's like driving a car, like you said, because I, pretty much. Yeah. I well, imagine it sort of becomes a part of you. Yeah. <clears throat> when yeah. you're driving yeah. a motorcycle for the first time, you take your course. People are. I got a clutch. I got a shift. I got to do this. I got to look my mirror. But um, you know, after years well, it's like when you're in a car and you do a parallel park, you can sort of feel <clears throat> the curb, even though you're not touching the curb. You can kind of, you, you know, you know yeah. your car. I imagine that you kind of get a feel like that. Yeah. The only difference is the consequences when you make a mistake. I bet. Yeah. So on a motorcycle, <laughs> you fall over. In a car, you dent somebody else. Is there any room for a mistake in a helicopter? You know, people say make mistakes, you learn. Well, in a helicopter, you, can you make any? There's, you know, I don't know. It's, it depends, you know, there's a bit of a margin. Sometimes you get away with things that, but if you really make a mistake, uh, you're in a bit of trouble. Wow. Yeah. So you got to be careful. You got to always think about that kind of stuff. Look for an out or, you know, know your limits, know what the, what the helicopter can perform, know what your limits are. So you don't make mistakes. You don't get into that situation that could cause you some problems. So I'm assuming you have to get, rated for each different chopper right yeah uh each helicopter is different they all fly the same 
and we say everything flies at 60 miles an hour. But there's different um, procedures, there's different techniques, there's different things, you know, uh, there might be different ways to, uh, different technology in helicopters, you have to get used to that and learn it, because it'll affect exactly, you know, what you're doing flying-wise. So every machine you have to be checked out, endorsed, and trained on to fly. So, and some choppers have the two, uh, the two rotors, right? I mean, does that is are are they are they working off the same controls? Yeah, I I have never flown one, so I I don't have experience okay, okay. with one. But uh, technically speaking, yeah, it's the same deal. Same deal. Yeah. So when you move your cyclic, those two blades would the two. Yeah. So when you move this the cyclic. Uh, the blades move in a way that that disc that I was talking to you about will tilt in that direction that you want to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so one blade will lift more than the other, and it turns into a tilt, and the helicopter goes in that direction. When you lift up the collective, you're lifting both blades equally. So it'll essentially lift vertically or provide enough lift to go at a certain rate of speed or whatever speed you can get out of it by pulling it on. That's why they call it a collective. It's a collective uh, increase in the uh, in the blades. Okay. Whereas a cyclic is a cyclical change of pitch in the blades. As the blades go around, they change and they move around, and and that's how you make directional changes. There. It's fascinating. Yeah. Very so fascinating. Can you can you briefly explain why a helicopter won't just drop out of the sky if the engine shuts off high enough? That's what we train for, and um, and if all goes well, uh, we're in good shape. <laughs> Uh, so, wow. Uh, the the aircraft is designed to glide without without uh, engine power. Okay. Oh, it is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's the only way it can be certified and, and so on. So that what happens? Uh, the engine disconnects from the main rotor transmission, so it's not providing power. But as you as you start to immediately descend, and again another comparison is you know the maple trees with their the seeds, you know, the, what they call those the things. keys. Yeah, so it just it'll just start coming down, but you can control the aircraft direction uh, just like you had power, but you're just descending at a oh, significant wow. at a significant okay. rate of descent. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a procedure to uh, to extend the glide if you need to reach a you know a flat area so you can land or decrease the area. Uh, there's ways of doing that, and then you. Um, Try to get yourself so you do an approach to a spot that you've selected that's you know what's adequate. You do a flare to stop the forward speed, okay. and you bring it down close to the ground. Then at the last 10, 15 feet, you pull up on the collective to cushion the uh, the touchdown, and it works great in training. And you only hope that you can do that when you're actually on the job, in the middle of some shit, because. Uh, You'll always experience an engine failure when you're least expected, when you're least prepared, when you least wanted to. Now, I um, can only assume that you have to be at a certain height for this to work properly. Yeah. I mean, we do it from the hover. At what height, though? Uh, you know, we'll practice at 10 feet off. Oh, the wow. Hover. Okay. Yeah. We'll do that on takeoff. We'll have a you know simulated engine failure on takeoff and get to be able to put the machine on the ground. Uh, and then in cruise flight, we'll, that'll happen. And you got to be able to pick your spot and maneuver the aircraft so you can get there either straight ahead or you do a 180 or you do a 360, whatever it takes to get to that spot that you can, uh, first of all, survive or be able to save the aircraft from any damage. 
<laughs> I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> yeah, Holy I, shit. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I honestly thought that maybe in a plane there was like a bad gliding situation and that a helicopter just simply becomes a plastic kid's toy. Yeah, the airplane, it has got a glide factor as well, but you need an extensive runway to do it. You, you can't maneuver it as True enough. easy as we can. Okay. And some hmm. manufacturers have gone to uh, installing a parachute. On the helicopter? On the airplane, not on the helicopter. Oh, oh, oh really? Oh. Yeah. So there's an airplane out there that's got an emergency, uh, an emergency chute. If you have an engine failure, that chute will pop up and that'll cushion your, cushion your landing. You can pretty much put it down anywhere, if you're lucky. Fascinating. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. It's like an airbag. That is fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like a drag car or something. Just yeah. keeping it, yeah, from hitting the wall at the end. That's crazy, man. Has this ever happened to you? Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> not just in training. But in real life? Yeah. Once? More than once. <laughs> wow. Anything anything wild? Like, is it a pucker uh, factor? Like, all of a sudden, there's no noise. You know, it happens so quickly when it does happen. <laughs> you pucker after. <laughs> I suppose that's during, true. During the event, you're just you know, holy working. Shit, here we go. And um, it's happened a few times. And. Uh, it's not something I'd, I'd like to talk. I don't like crazy talking about it because it's you know it's, yeah sure it's one of those things. But it, you know it, it, it's the reality of, of what we do. You know sooner or later somebody's going to have a failure. Yeah. And uh, you just hope that you know that you you've been trained well enough that you can remember what you have to do and that you react accordingly. Because uh, you know the rate of descent uh, usually in an engine failure is two thousand feet per minute. Usually, we're usually flying two thousand feet per minute. We're usually flying at a thousand feet off the ground, so we have thirty seconds to figure out do the right thing. Man, you got to be clear-headed. Oh, you yeah. can't be you can't be daydreaming. No, holy macro. <laughs> the way I do it, I don't I don't know what other guys do, but in my case, as soon as I get in the helicopter, I put my helicopter face on. It's just everything. I don't think about anything else. I'm just thinking about what I what I'm doing in the aircraft. I don't play music or anything like that. It's just other guys doing that, playing some tunes. And <laughs> yeah, you know, they're rocking shooting. and rolling. <laughs> yeah, really good for them. But I like to hear what's going on. I just that's just the way it is. I like makes sense to me. And, um, and I try to be in tune as much as I can. Like, there are days when I'm not, you know, whatever. But when I'm, I try to focus as wow. hard as I can. That if something happens, what do I do? That's always in the back of my mind. I'll be flying along. Can I? Can I reach that park over there? Because if something let go, can I make that oh, park? Oh, yes, yes, Or of that course. road or, you know, um, it's always there. So uh, just the habit I got into. And if I have to, then I think I can pull it off. And it's so far it's worked the few times it's happened. So. Well, you're sitting here, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is, man. This yeah. is wicked. Yeah. I have a similar mind like that when I drive. I feel like a lot of people don't. Well, you, you know, get but that I'm from always stunt looking. Driving. Yeah, I'm looking for uh, a way out, if anything ever, you know. Yeah. So I can only imagine that that just makes the best pilots is having that mind frame. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And not having ACDC going off in your ear there, or you know. Yeah, and you can't hear your engine <laughs> shut off. Yeah. Or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Wow. A lot of times I'll I'll I have the intercom and I'll just flip off the passengers. I don't want to hear them talking. I just just leave me alone. Yeah. Let me do my thing, and uh, you guys. Do what you want to do, but uh, I like to keep it nice and quiet and focused and do our do our business. Well, speaking of passengers, you've had some uh, pretty big names on your pretty big 
film and television names on your choppers. Um, Do you like the term chopper? Is that a oh, is that a bad yeah. term? Because uh, I know I've been using it. But every time I say chopper, he uses Dave. helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. The most, I don't think a lot of our, us guys call them choppers. We call them machines. Okay. That's so, our term of endearment for a helicopter. Really? The machine. Okay. The machine. The machine. If you want to call it a chopper, you go right ahead. Well, I'm, it's just <laughs> 60s movies. I yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, can we get into talking some film and television? Um. Sure. Can I mention one thing, though? Yeah. Um, um, they train people on those little Robbies. Yeah. Um, we had a, a friend, one of my daughter's best friends, um, Tiffany Hanna. Did you know Tiffany at all? She um, was wonderful. She, wonderful, she, wonderful. I remember when Tiffany came to me and said she's going to learn how to fly choppers, helicopters. She says, I can't wait machines. to fly machines. Yeah. She was the funniest. She should have been a comedian. This girl was delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was here in Cambridge, um, and a few years ago, um, had something to do, I believe with, uh, and I stand uh, trimming the, 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 to heat the, oh, the one that went down in the kitchener, mm-hmm. the instructor. Yeah. 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 yeah I remember that one. So I, yeah, went that to, was I went to her funeral. Yeah. Oh. It was, uh, yeah, it was. You know, you, you know, when these things happen, I, I you tend to think about it, a bit of a thought thing, and uh, it was so uh, bizarre that uh, what happened, from what I understand, is that um, she was flying with a student, mm-hmm. and in that particular helicopter, you have to regulate the carb heat, and uh, I think there was some miscommunication in between the two of them who turned it on or turned it off, so the engine quit. Uh, they were just taken off and it quit, and they um, they landed in the um, in the water. There's a retaining pond. Mm-hmm. of Of all the places to land on the airport, they ended up there. If they had landed on a solid surface, they would have been fine. Really, they landed in the water, and uh, the impact, uh, and uh, she was killed in, in there. And yeah, you just wonder how how does that happen. Yeah. You know, how something like that. If she, like I said, if she had landed on hard surface, it would have been just fine. They just would have had an engine failure, put her down, and that would have been the end of it. But uh, ending up in that particular spot, that location, changed everything. And uh, Oh, my God. So it was very, very sad. She was an amazing lady and uh, really nice. Everybody liked her and good pilot. Yeah. No, she was awesome. Yeah. 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 I, I just wanted to bring that up with this. I, I wanted to see if... You had the same information I had with the carburetor deal. Wow. Uh, and again, you wonder why do we still have that? You know, that's sixty. That's old technology. You don't need to. Really? Yeah, it's called carb icing. Yeah. Depending on the conditions and all that, you'll get a, you'll get some icing inside the the carb, and it restricts the engine power. Or it'll shut it right off depending on how bad it is, and you control that heat uh, to warm that so it doesn't happen. But it's a it's a manual thing. I remember to do it. It's not automatic or with fuel injected engines. I don't think you need that anymore. That's not a problem, but uh, that's still a thing. And um, like the machines you fly that notice I use the word machines. Yeah. Good yeah. Um, uh, they don't have that. No, I mean, the turbines don't, don't have that. That's uh, that's not an issue. But uh, Okay. And you don't know why they would continue using such technology. Um. No, I don't really. I, it's not my expertise, so I can't really. I have an opinion, but 
you know, sometimes changes are slow happening in aviation because they're, they're kind of set in stone or people like the way that is or yeah. liability issues or whatever. So uh, they don't make changes very quickly. Right. And uh, so it takes a while. But Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting that they put an inexperienced person on. Well, not inexperienced, but with, anyway, with that technology. Well, it's not, it was, uh, I thought about Tiffany and I was, yeah. I didn't know whether to mention her or not, but I, I kind of appreciate this bit of an explanation as to what went yeah, on. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah. Talk about the movies. Thanks, Dave. Hey, the last time you and I worked together, and I, you know, say worked together, I don't think I saw you. <laughs> yeah, I've worked with you a million times. I just haven't shook hands yet. Was uh, was on the uh, the Escape, the BMW movie. Yeah. Uh, directed by Neil Bloomkamp. Did you have a fun experience? It, yeah, I did. It was fun. It was interesting. Um, and I was really keen to be on that job. I'm a big fan of that BMW commercial thing that they did. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the several different episodes. When they first came out, I... I, I sent a note to be uh, you could get a, the DVD from BMW so I applied I sent a request and I got this DVD oh cool and cool. Uh, I was in Detroit at the Detroit Auto Show the year they came out with that okay and um, that's where the first time I saw that hmm. I went uh, walking around I went to the BMW um, display they had a huge wall monitor and they were playing this on a loop the crowd that was there just to watch the shorts was unbelievable. I'd never seen anything like it. I was mesmerized. I thought the the quality of the... And this was the first one they did? Yeah, the first series. It was uh, three or four of them. I can't remember. Yeah, there's yeah three or four or five. Had Madonna in it or something? Madonna, James Brown. Uh, Madonna's husband directed it, correct? Yeah. Okay. And there's a few others, but I was just blown away. The production value, the quality of the writing, the storylines, it was so well done as a, as a commercial or as a promotional material. So when I heard this was coming, I thought, well, I got to get in on this. This is going to be great. So we got the call and, um, it was fun. It was uh, complicated. There was a lot of stuff going on. They were always changing what they wanted to do and, and because of the locations, we had to do up a lot of permits with Transport Canada and negotiate altitudes and limitations. It was constant, constant stuff. But uh, I think we did some nice stuff there. So you flew the camera ship? I flew uh, the picture ship. The pic- okay. Yeah. And um, I had my, my other guy was flying the camera ship. Right. Oh, okay. But we had all that gun stuff going on and uh, chasing down the uh, said road in Hamilton there, that, that little parkway, whatever they call it. Yeah, I know exactly. Oh, yeah. Uh, under the, under the bridge there, right? Is that it was what over and under the bridge, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember the name. The red, so, no, that's not it. But, but, no, that's, no, it's one that goes cross down through, uh, all the, the steel places there. Yeah. So we've been yeah. there a number of times, did stuff there, but, uh, we're doing that chase scene. We have the, that actor guy, uh. Clive Owen? Yeah, no, uh. John Bernthal? Yeah, John Bernthal was one of the guys. The bad guy. Yeah, he jumped out of the helicopter at the end. I think so. Yeah, yeah. John Bernthal. John. Yeah. yeah, so we had him, and uh, he was a nice guy. He was really nice to work with. But it was a good shot, a good job. I, I, I saw the the final thought. I thought it was okay. You know, the show looked good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had heard that Neil Neil Bloomkamp, the director, is also an editor. That's what he. That's the world he comes from, um, and he wasn't happy apparently with the edit because 
he actually had BMW people in the editing bay telling him to put this in or cut there. Oh, of course. Yeah, so he wasn't particularly pleased. This is what I've heard. But yeah, it, it turned out okay. I, yeah. yeah. But we the did. originals are, are classics. I thought they were just phenomenal. That uh, The James Brown one is stunning. I haven't seen oh, it. I have to, yeah, I have to <laughs> check it out. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. And then the Madonna one was pretty cool. There's another one there, um, uh, a hostage one. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? The guy's, uh, the woman's in the trunk. Uh, no. Sinking in the river, and Clive goes and gets her out there. Whatever. Oh, wow. There's another one about a, uh, a photojournalist who uh, gets killed. And uh, How many of these did they do? Is, I think five or six of them or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, don't, okay. I don't really remember. Yeah. It was five or six. Well, we did the last one, yeah. The Escape. With all, they all had prominent directors, uh, <clears throat> high-end actors, uh, and, and incredible storylines. They were really, really well done. Yeah. yeah. But we had a blast. I mean, what did we shoot for yeah, seven, seven days? Home. Flipping a Hummer and, yeah. and uh, flipping that transport truck was a blast. Nearly rolling cars and yeah. accidentally. And, yeah. <laughs> well, that's another, that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, wild, man. What was, the, uh, what was the first shoot you ever did? How did actually, how did it start? What, yeah, what got that, you into the business? That's a good question. So I think the first thing I ever did that I can remember was um, a TV series, TV show. Um, oh, my name escapes me. I was thinking about it today on the way in. Littlest Hobo. Okay. Yeah, that, that takes us back a bit. Yeah. At that time I was, uh, I had moved back. I was working with Ron Boyd. I don't know if you remember him, Ontario Helicopters. I don't. Mm-mm. In the 80s, 70s and 80s, he was the helicopter uh, film guy in Toronto. Okay. And um, so I did some work with him, and um, uh, that was the show we did. I think that was my first one. But Ron was the uh, the film guy at the time, helicopter guy. Yeah, he was quite legendary. He had um, developed special equipment. He was known for that kind of work. He did some pretty significant shows. He did North of Superior. He did an IMAX thing there of Niagara Falls, which I think is still playing in that Niagara IMAX theater that they have. There. Oh, wow. And that was back in the 80s, or early, early 80s. So I did some stuff with him, and um, and uh, and he was sort of, I won't say a mentor, but you know, a guy that I looked up to. And and his helicopter company is what I wanted to do. That's the exact oh. same thing. I wanted to, to do the same thing. So we talked a lot, and spent time together. I, I wanted to buy his company and start, you know, just take it over. But that didn't work out, so I started my own. But we ended up collaborating on jobs. We would work together on shoots or go on to fight fires and all that kind of thing. And then he passed away, and I kind of stepped into his shoes there, I guess, and took over the local or worked the local market. Okay, so I don't want to go away from the film stuff, but yeah. did you say you went and fought fires? Yeah, when I first started. Uh, that's pretty much what everybody does is they go on, on forest fires. Okay. So I spent a lot, a few, the first few years I was working in, in Algonquin Park or I'd go to Kenora, just stayed in Ontario. But then I realized every time fire season started, all the helicopters would leave Toronto and there was nothing left behind. So I thought maybe let me, I'll, I'll see if I'll stay home one summer and we'll see how that works. And that's where I started picking up all the business. Oh, that's interesting. And it 
paid off, paid off enough that I said, you know, I'll let the other guys do the fire stuff. I'll just stay home. And I developed a local market with the film, the corporate, uh, corporate uh, stuff, and then whatever else I can get out of town. Now, how many films have you done? People look it up. What's your website? It's uh, fourseasonsaviation.com. But I'm also, I put stuff on IMDb. And I'm on there as well. I, I don't know how many I've done, though. I haven't counted. Yeah, lots. <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. Do you remember flying over my shoulder while I hugged on to Michael Douglas on the jet ski on the lake? <laughs> yeah, that was, that's a while back, too. Yeah, that's a while back. Yeah. What was that called? The in-laws, the in-laws. Yeah, yeah. Was that here? No, was that, yeah, wasn't no, that close by? No, we shot it in Toronto. Oh, okay. But okay. we were just in the lake, and then Michael Douglas was driving the jet ski, and I was holding on to him, uh, doubling Albert Brooks. With, That's fun. With Dave right there. Well, at least it sounded like you were right there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was fun. What else have we done together? I'm trying to remember um, a few things. Oh, there's a number of things. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the TV series Beauty and the Beast, I was actually playing a machine pilot um, sitting in your helicopter, um, which brings me to another question I, I got to keep in mind, um, where I was going to take off and we I only got like five or six feet in the air and the, the beast grabs the skid. Remember that? I mean, there's got to... It pulls you out or something? Yeah, well, yeah, in a closer shot, he pulls me out of the helicopter. Oh, I see. Um, but that's you flying it, of course. That's got to... That, we talked early before the podcast about the, 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 the rotor wash, and there's a cushion of air below you, and it's harder to hover low than higher. Does that make sense? Is that true? Uh, not so much for me, but the aircraft does better lower because it builds a cushion of air that supports the aircraft. So it's less power Oh, I see. to fly, uh, let's say, uh, between 5 and 10 feet off the ground. It builds this cushion of air that um, helps you hover. And when you get up past that point, you lose that cushion. Now you need more power to sustain a hover. Okay. So um, handling-wise and all that, it doesn't make much of a difference for but, me. But. but you're up there six feet hot, like the skids are six feet off the ground and mm -hmm. you're kind of rocking because he's supposed to grab it and try to pull you back down. I, I, we're all standing there in awe that you're doing this and making it look like he's pulling it and it's incredible. It was, it was really cool to watch. Mm -hmm. well, here's the question. It is. Why do helicopter pilots sit on the right side and not the left? Um... It's just a, the way the aircraft have been designed. There's a couple of exceptions, like the, the Hughes 500, for instance. You fly on the left. You don't fly on the right. I didn't know that. Yeah. But everything else pretty much is on the right side. It's just the way the, the controls are situated. It's just a traditional thing. A lot of smaller airplane pilots also sit on the right, do they not? They're mainly on the left. Oh, they are? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hmm. When yeah. Andrew drives his car, he's, he sits on that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reaches, just, he reaches over. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I do it, but got to well, okay, okay, so, I, yeah, that's all. We, I, I've just never, like, did they, were they designed in Britain? Hmm. Um, yeah. Interesting. That's, that's now, the roadways are different in the sky, you know? You don't have to stay on the left. So what did you on the right. You did oh, Blues right. Brothers 2000, the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was driving one of those 
cop cars racing up the street. Were you following us there? I don't know if we did. I know we went in. We did one shot. We were in and out, I think, within minutes. Um, I, I remember that was kind of stands so out. We, that's what's his name was directing that. Um, oh, um, oh my God! I don't know. You know who I'm talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely do. He did the Michael Jackson movie. Uh, that, um, that Michael Jackson's uh, thriller. He did Twilight Zone. That's correct. And uh, I don't know if you remember that show. That was a helicopter accident there. Yes. And Vic Morrow was killed. Yes. And I think the kids were... Yes. Right. So he was director in that. Mm -hmm. And there was a big deal that came out of that lawsuit and everything else. And he got away. Um, he got off. He didn't... Nothing happened. So we were... A getting, little apprehensive? No, I was I was fine. But we were told by an AD, don't don't talk about helicopters. Don't you know? Just keep quiet. Don't don't say anything. Just right. do your thing. So we went up. We did a shot. They had a big tent there or something like that. We did some aerials of the tent with some th scene happening, and uh, we I did one or two takes. And yeah, you're done. You can go home. I said, Do you want us to do anything else? No, nope, your day's done. You can leave now. And we just went home. We had booked the whole day, had the West Cam camera, the whole nine yards. Yeah. So it was a big deal. I love when that happens. And um, <laughs> I said, okay, fine. So we just went home and that was it. But it was kind of, yeah, kind of for us anyway, it was kind of kind of neat. But we had all that background shit going on as well. It was quite something. Um, remember Frenchie Burger? Yeah. Love, <clears throat> shout out to Frenchie. God bless him. Yeah. Um, I was on set and the director, that director, was demanding that, Frenchie allow an actor to take this big handgun and fire it at close range at another actor. And Frenchie says, nope, can't do it, not going to happen. And uh, we're all, all the stunt guys, we're all standing around listening to this argument. And the director was quite hot. And he turned to Frenchie and he said, I've worked with guns before. And Frenchie said, yes, and I also understand you've worked with helicopters. And, Fren Woo! and Frenchie turned around and walked away. You guys, my hero. <laughs> yeah, man. You must have had some pretty crazy director requests or something. You know, some directors come in saying, you're a pro. Can you help me figure out what I want? Uh, but we're going to abide by what you tell us. And then there's got to be directors, very similar to, stunt, uh, to conversing with stunt coordinators. Uh, this is what I want. There's kind of no other way around it. Yeah, we've had a few of those. And um, that's the one thing about working in the film. You have to be able to talk your way into and out of a situation. Yeah. With all due respect to everybody else and all that, but you've got to be able to communicate how things can be done safely, effectively, and still get what they want at the end of the day. It's easy to say no, but that's not the, that's not the right answer, always. It's so always a say, line you're dancing on, kind of. Yeah, so you say, well, that looks good, but I, I suggest we do it this way. For me, it works better. I can get what you want, and uh, it just works better for me and everything else. We just have to make an adjustment. Mm -hmm. And if, I, I find the way, if you know you talk to them, or if I, I, I always, you know, for a long time, I've been working with Shelly. She's my coordinator. 
Yeah. Shelly Cook, stunt coordinator. Yeah. Yep. Great lady. And Shelly will do that talking for me. She has a good way of communicating with these guys. They know her. Big Massive time. experience. Big time. There's a lot of respect. And when she shows up on the set, the whole mood changes. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to focus doing what I want, do what I need to do. And she'll be able to uh, direct me or make that, make that call so that everybody gets what they want. So it's like a buffer, but a little bit more than that as well. And that's, that's the difference between... Um, a safe shot and a, a problem shot, and exactly that's what happened on the, on the on that uh, Vic Morrow thing, the Twilight Zone. Yeah, we have a director calling, you know, to do that kind of stuff, and the pilot's going, "Yeah, sure, we, you know, let's do it, let's do it," and starts avoiding or not paying attention to the safety aspects, and and then things happen. So now, okay, can we speak about that for a bit? Um. The special effects guys who put in the uh, pyro, I understand they put in more than what was expected, either purposely as as a direction from the production without telling the pilot. Um, does, Does, will a huge plume of flame that's really hot eating up all that oxygen does that work against what the helicopter is flying through? Yeah. So did it reach that chopper? From what I've read, there's a book out on that thing. Okay. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I, when I have other guys working with me on film stuff, I make them read that book. There's a lot of information mm. in there about how it happened, why, and the aftermath, which is really important. The whole legal thing that went on and, and the uh, the consequences. It's a it's a good thing to know. And um, from what I remember, that was you're right. The uh, the pyrotechnics were an issue. And the pilot had uh, flown low to be in the shot. That was the whole thing. And it just the wrong combination of altitude uh, pyros, and it was at night actors the kids shouldn't have been there they weren't supposed to be there was a whole bunch of stuff that they call the uh, the swiss cheese uh thing where uh it's just all these elements coming together if you just pull one thing out like uh, if you plug a hole or pull out a thing there the uh the chain of events will stop so if he had been maybe 10 or 20 30 feet higher would have been okay if they had less pyro that would have been fine if those kids weren't there it would have been great. If it was a daytime shot, it would have been nice too. So we put all that combination together and you have a, apparently the pilot, he wasn't very experienced in the film world and eager to be part of that, that community of pilots being maybe a little bit too ambitious, going over his limits of what he can do, what he can't do. Then things happen. Didn't have the balls to say no. Maybe I, I won't say balls. You're eager. You're you know you're excited. You want to be part of that. So you you want to ha- you uh, know, yeah, do so, the okay. thing like anybody else. You know, but it's the consequences that make the difference here. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, that's what happened. That's you know that's one of those things. Yeah. Okay, man. Um, Dave and I were talking before the podcast started. But a friend of ours. Can we talk about that? Sure. Speaking of consequences. Yep. 
Oh, okay. Anton Tycody. Ah. Yeah, that was uh, uh, amazing. Oh, amazing. I, I find it hard to put the right words in place for this thing because it's it's quite something. Mm -hmm. And not just for me, but everybody that knew him. He mm -hmm. was he was uh, he covered a lot of a lot of things there. So um, I worked occasionally with Ty on some of the jobs. I got to know him a little bit, and then we became friends and. And uh, he would invite me down to the Indian to play pool. Okay. So we'd go down there and kind of do what guys do, and a couple of beers, a couple of cigars, and just talk about stuff. And it was it was a good thing. <laughs> it was we go down once a month, maybe, and all that sort of thing. But he had developed that that relationship, and he was uh, getting close to retiring from the paramedic thing. So I said, "Why don't you consider coming working with me?" He can fly and we can coordinate and we can do this movie stuff, which is, we seem to work well together and, and do really well in the film world. So we were working on that. And um, I, I also found out he was born the day before I was. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're both the same age, one day apart. Oh, wow, that's cool. So there was something there. So the day I was working in uh, Toronto, we had a job. I was down at the docks at our helipad down there, and he was flying home from uh, Uxbridge. I said, well, why don't you pop in and hang out for a bit while we're doing this stuff here, and then whatever. He never showed up. I thought maybe he just went home. And then I got back home around midnight, and I get this message that uh, Ty was in an accident. And then the next day I found out what happened. And um, it really shook me out because, you know, I lost a friend, but I also lost somebody I was going to be working with and all that. So, And uh, the way it happened was uh, just one of those things, again, like you ask, you know, why does this stuff happen? It's almost like some kind of modern take on the Greek tragedy, you know, mm. it's, uh, it's, it's in inexplicable. <clears throat> but um, the events of, the, of that day were... Uh, Pretty serious there. It was, it was something else. Yeah, it shook a community. Yeah. Like, it's uh, it's devastating. And for people that are listening, Anton Tycote was an incredible stunt coordinator, an incredible stuntman, and a uh, full-fledged paramedic, as you say, on the verge of retiring. Uh, he was looking at those big airplanes that with the bellies opened up, him and his buddy. Was that not, was you? No. No. Somebody else. Um, yeah, we, we talked extensively about his dream of doing that. Um, just a week before, another stunt guy, uh, his horse slipped out from underneath him and he hit his head on the ground pretty hard. And um, he had, in that one week, I believe, two brain surgeries. Um, he's fine now. So at about 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, my wife's office phone rang. And then she told me I, it was for me. <clears throat> um, Jody Tansley uh, was on the phone and I'm wondering why is Jody calling me and my mind went to Rick who fell off his horse well his horse fell um, and then she told me about Ty devastating yeah I remember that day yeah and I was young but that was a crazy day um, so can, do you know what happened so the best of my knowledge, uh, trying to remember, he was flying back and his, he had an R-22. Mm -hmm. And as he was flying back, some guy 
in a Cessna took off from his private grass strip and uh, flew up and hit Ty from behind. Never saw him, apparently. Ty never saw it either. He was going one way. This guy was coming up behind him. He was on his takeoff? Or he, he was just, he, he was mid-flight? Yeah, he just had taken off. Oh, wow, airport, okay. So he was climbing up. Ah. So he didn't have good vis. Well, he had, didn't have a good angle to see Ty or something like that. So he hit him from behind and Ty ended up uh, crashing. And uh, he landed in a field. He was okay. But uh, that's just part of this, the rest of the story from what I remember. That guy should never been flying. This is my understanding. Uh, everything he did that day was illegal. His airplane wasn't airworthy. Um, he didn't have a medical. I don't think he even had insurance. That's my understanding. He wasn't wearing a headset. Jesus. <clears throat> um, and then that happens. Uh, and it's one of these things, you know, it, like I said before, when you think about it, you start thinking and stuff like that, you wonder, you know, if it was just a few seconds of difference or if it had a one degree different in flight path. Yeah. He'd still be here. Nobody would know him the better. It'd be fine. And that guy would still be flying illegally and nobody would have said anything. But the fact that those two... Huh guys got together you have the real good guy the you know the accomplished guy that you know the living his life and you have the other guy who really doesn't care doesn't have a conscience doesn't really give a shit about you know what i'm doing i'm just going to fly i don't care about that illegally and the two of them combined and that happens that that just drives you nuts are we aware of what happened to that fella so he was fined i think about three thousand dollars or thirty five hundred dollars from transport canada for some violation of a few regulations and that's it really yeah so it had that happened on the road you know man would be in prison well there might be a vehicular homicide um yeah because you're doing everything illegal leading up to it but nothing when you're flying we and we had encouraged the family his brother to uh press charges or something because this is not uncommon what this guy did. If you're not based at an airport, nobody's going to care what you really do. You can do whatever you want. Oh, that's interesting. Um, because he's on his own property and does his own thing, there's nobody going to go out there and inspect his airplane or show me your license or anything like that. They just oh, don't. Oh. They won't do that. They may do that if you're at an airport. They may walk around and they show me some some paperwork or. Let me see whatever. But there's rules in the air, are there not? Oh, yeah, but I mean, you have to enforce those rules. Yeah, it can't exactly be pulled over. Um, I guess, yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's true. So, I, you know, we thought at the very least, let's, you know, go after this guy and make an example to the rest of the aviation community to say, you can't do stuff like that. It's not fair. And look what happens. And, uh, but that didn't happen. I don't know where that went or how that didn't end up. Uh, I would hope and imagine that this man feels an obscene amount of regret and thinks about it often. Well, I, I don't know. But you, can I only, you can only hope that you he has some hope. kind of remorse. And yeah. if he has a conscience, he's got to live with that for the rest of his life. But, you know, if, if he did, he wouldn't have done what he did in the first place. Right. So it's a serious thing to to run around without, without you know, adhering to the, regula the basic regulations of a safe airplane and license and all that kind of thing basic communication i mean it's it's what you do 
So you said it's kind of common for a lot of these. It's 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 common for people to have a private strip and then their own airplane and they're going to go fly. Um, but there's these regulations. Uh, when you say common, I mean. Well, maybe I'll take that back. It's not so much common. Most guys, most pilots are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you get the individuals who really don't care. They get away with it. They're fine. And it's tempting because it's expensive to own an airplane and fly and maintain your license and all that kind of thing. So if you're going to cut corners and nobody's going to pay attention, uh, if you're, you know, if that's the kind of guy you are or a person, then that's what you'll do. And as long as everything works, it's fine. Nobody really knows. We don't know how many people there are like that. But as long as it's fine, nothing happens. It's okay. That's fascinating. I never thought of it before. But um, when yeah. it does happen, it's... Like I said, consequences in aviation are serious. It's not, you know, once you're 10 feet off the ground, things happen. And yeah. you got to be accountable. Speaking of regulations, can you fly? Is there, are you regulated to fly at certain heights? Like you mentioned earlier, um, single engine, double engine, whatever, over the city, things of that nature. This is what I've heard. And The way it works... Uh, the basic rule is a thousand feet off the ground or a thousand feet off off a building. It's the highest building. Okay. In a single engine. Uh, the reason why we bought the twin engine aircraft so that allows us to get lower, we can do that with Transport Canada permits and approvals. So we can get lower than a thousand feet, and depending on the area, you know, we can get pretty close to the ground. Wow. And we've landed on downtown streets. Uh, for some of the shows that we worked on or flown through buildings. Uh, but we have to do a lot of preparation. We got to close streets, uh, protect the public, get the right paperwork in place, and then do that. And that's all predicated on having that twin-engine aircraft. That allows us to do that. It's part of the regulations thing there. Can you land anywhere you want? Within I, reason? Like, not in city, maybe, but... I'd like to land everywhere I want sometimes. <laughs> you know, you could have flew... Flew here today. <laughs> I could yeah. land in the front yard, but, but uh, <laughs> no, there, there's restrictions about that as well. You gotta, you can't, and basically the regulations are there to protect what they call the public. Mm -hmm. You don't want to endanger the public or risk the public, so they put in some uh, some guidelines. So I can't land within, let's say, 500 feet of a built-up area like a residential area or something like that. You don't want to encroach on houses. You can if you get a permit, then you drop a plan and get authorization to do that. And then the altitude thing as well. But if uh, you have a farm in the north, there's, there's nothing around there, there's nobody around, it's clear and you can go in there and then you can land, it's fine. So when I see these beautiful That's ads cool. in uh, high-end magazines of a guy landing his helicopter with his lady out in the middle of the, the lake somewhere and having a picnic, that's just... It is what it is. You can do that. We can do that. Yeah, within incredible. Yeah, as long as we do it properly. I want to fly a helicopter. <laughs> as long as we do it properly and you're prepared, you're fine. That's fast. Okay. Um, you mentioned some people that you work with that you wanted to give a shout out to and maybe talk about her. Uh, you know, Shelley Cook in particular is you know what we've been doing all these years and and how much she's helped me with with my career with my business is from the film industry mm -hmm. it's been instrumental there uh, but you know as a whole the the whole stunt guy thing is it's been incredible too those guys everybody that've been involved with are great so working with you uh, Rick Forsyth uh, Bronco yeah uh, all these guys have been very supportive of what I do and 
And when we get into certain scenarios, they've been so professional and how they handle themselves, how they prepare uh, the safety aspect, the rehearsal side. So then we, when we do our gag or whatever we need to do, it's done well and done properly. And some of them have been quite significant there. Uh, we did Resident Evil, where we uh, came, came out of the helicopters about 50 feet off and land on top of the uh, TD Tower. Remember that? Were you there? That's that? cool. No, I wasn't there. So I was. That was with uh, 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 Steve. Steve Steve Lechescu. He was running that show, and um, so we're hovering on top of the TD Tower at night, and we have a scene where the guy jumps out of the helicopter onto a pile of boxes. Uh, oh, this is a good story here. We got time for stuff like uh, that. Yeah, man, go. Good? We got time, man. <laughs> so I can't remember who fell out of the machine, but. Um, we get in. We uh, we do this gag where uh, I remember it was at night and it was a tough night because the winds were blowing and we're hovering on top of the TD tower in between buildings. And I got another aircraft filming this and ground stuff. We got the zombie guys running around and Steve lines me up with a laser, points a laser at the belly of the ship. And when we're in position, he says, "Go." And my guys on the skid, hanging with one arm on the belt, ready to drop off. Steve's doing his thing, and all of a sudden, the uh, the director, or second, second, uh, the AD, AD says, "Stop, abort." Steve freaks out because my guy's just ready to leap, right? And um, I yell at the guy, "But support, get back in the ship!" And I just pull away and to re reset again. So there's a big commotion on the ground, and Steve is just, you know how Steve is, right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> So we, uh, he clears that up. We get back in position, and this guy free falls into the boxes, and he's the clip is is wonderful. It's just absolutely perfect. Wow, cool, yeah, stunning. How high is the fall? I, you know, I I don't remember the actual footage. Uh, just say for argument, let's say fifty feet. Okay. It was it was a good height, and there's some there's some good action there, and and it's for real. It's not. It's not CGI. It's not fake. There's no wires or nothing. Remember when we used to make it. movies and there was no wires and there was no CGI? Yeah. That's yeah. a real deal. I mean, we've done a few things like that. <clears throat> and speaking of that, I mean, some of the shows that gave me things that I, you know, I don't know, inspiration, but, you know, stuff that I, I, I take from, there's a couple in particular. There's um, uh, Apocalypse Now. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the helicopter scenes were beautiful beautiful but they were real they were they weren't there was nothing fancy going on they're actually choreographed and coordinated mm -hmm. uh wonderful stuff and i watch it over and over again specifically that that section that that one scene where they're all coming and doing their thing and with the music blaring the music and all but it's amazing you know the, the amount of work that went into that and the, the stuff that they did it's incredible yeah people you, have no idea yeah and you don't see that anymore i don't know if we could ever do that again the days like that are gone those are gone but that's a huge thing. Look at all the look at all the helicopters they had, and those were big Hueys. Um, oh, they had everything there. They, yeah, the they had everything. All the gunships. There's another show before that with David Jansen. Um, it'll come to me. David Jansen D. Remember him? He was. Uh, yeah, oh, I know I, the actor exactly. He did one movie. It was a helicopter show. And uh, he was flying a news helicopter, 
around, around Los Angeles, and there was a bank robbery. So he sees the robbery on the ground, they drive away, they get to an airport, and they get in their helicopter. And the rest of the movie is a helicopter chasing through the mountains. And oh, cool. Um, and they end up flying into an abandoned airport into a hangar. The two helicopters are inside the hangar flying around, jostling for position and all that. Oh, like, man. What? Yeah. And it's the real thing. And then the climax is they try to get out through the door and they, 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 they crash. And do they do the crash? I can't. I can't remember his. Oh, we got to find the birds of prey. Birds, birds of prey. Please. Thank you, D. That was D. <laughs> it's an awesome show. It was done in the seventies and was one of the first real helicopter action uh, shows. And the aerial cinematography that was done by helicopter was one of the first times that they actually used that kind of stuff. And um, it's it's really really good to see that. That's something that you might take for an example or whatever and and um you know learn from that i've watched it a million times wicked yeah it was hard to find because it was never released there's some kind of legal thing so they never let it go on, on really on video or anything yeah, but i found it on uh, i think it was youtube or something okay i'm gonna have a look it's it's worth a look yeah that's pretty good i'm gonna watch apocalypse now again too <laughs> um when you you put that big camera rig on the front of your chopper that yeah that has to be balanced and what for you is yeah. flying different yeah depending on the, the system that we're using but normally for film or we used to use the film it's a big camera so it sits on the nose or on the side and there's special brackets that are made for that that bolt onto the helicopter and then the hel the uh, the camera system mounts on this bracket it's all counterweighted and balanced so when you've got everything installed the machine pretty much it's back to where it's normal okay. uh, balance point would be, and then we fly accordingly, just a lot more weight. But uh, there's a few versions of that. Nowadays, everybody's shooting uh, video, so the, you don't see the big systems anymore, the film systems, we don't do that. So this, the balls are smaller, less weight, less, uh, less work to install, and uh, allows us to do more maneuvers that we wouldn't be able to do as easily with the big systems. That reminds me of a joke. Mm. that I made up just now. Yeah. It's like with CGI and green screen and wires, the stunt community, the, the balls are smaller now. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to all my stunt friends. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. It's funny. I had another question, but I forgot. Well, um, so... Uh, Oh, I know. Okay. Can I ask yeah, my yeah, question? Yeah, go now? ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, okay. Can we talk about drones? Yeah. This is where I was going. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Um, because Future. for a long, long time, anytime we did any aerial stuff, it was you in a helicopter. Um, and now I go out, we're doing car commercials and. Uh, yeah, and we just had our literally the the guest we had on uh, uh, Tom Comet, the owner of Drone Boy. Uh, Tom Comet, yeah. Um, um, what's happening? Like, it's it, it, are you losing work because of that? More and more as the drones get better and better. Yeah, and as they're accepted more by the producers and directors, and it's all one big pot there. 
So when drones first came out, they were doing things that we couldn't really do anyway, like the real close-ups and all that sort of thing. But when they tried to do our stuff, it wasn't all that great. And we used to get called on reshoots, come back and uh, reshoot what the drone, drone tried, tried to do. They can't really, <laughs> they can't really, we have much better lensing, much better optics, and we can stay up for hours at a time. They can't. Oh, so no, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, you know, there's trade-offs in either one. And okay. I think we both have our, our positions or what we can do, what we can't do. And, and um, I was hoping that would settle itself out. You know, we have our, our part that we can do, and you guys do yours, and, and that's good enough. But I think what I've noticed, especially the last few years, they're doing more, and everybody's okay with the production quality or what they see for what they're doing. Right. And we've been cut out. Uh, you know, I think uh, we've taken a bit of a hit there. Yeah, well, technology is getting yeah. better. Cameras are getting smaller. You know, you're shooting massive quality with these little tiny cameras um and it's it's a lens issue now and the weight i guess yeah so uh, to me an, an aerial shot is always good for a production it always looks great no matter what you're doing absolutely um it's just who's going to do it now mm -hmm. you know but, uh, but i also find and this is maybe just my opinion that it's being overused just because you have a drone doesn't mean you should shoot it well, you know it, I mean? it like, is, yeah. Every show has has these show has these shots now, every show, and not every show should use it. Yeah, but it's it's there, so they'll they'll take it, right? Yeah, I feel bad for the crane guys. Yeah, because uh, why go through all the trouble of setting up a crane when you just flip it with a drone and you're done? Yeah. So I'm sure they've. The one, the one thing that the crane has uh, that the drone doesn't is how close it can get to um, a face. Yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah, we're all waiting for you the know. day that a drone flies into Robert De Niro or something like that, and then see what happens. Oof! Yeah. Oh. Whoa! <laughs> Wouldn't be a good. Well, that's it, the it, truth. It, it would knock the the mole off, though. <laughs> <laughs> knock the what? The mole. The mole on it. <laughs> okay, so Robert, I apologize. <laughs> Oh, respectfully. Um, yeah, respectfully knocks it off. <laughs> so anyway, I told you we say oh. anything here, Dave. No, that's fine. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of hit us has been CGI, which uh, sure you know we've that's you know, we've <clears throat> seen we've had a couple of occasions where we're all ready to go to do a job. We're all contracted out. We've been to location scouts and meetings, and on and on and on. And then comes to the day off, oh, we change our mind. We'll just yeah. CGI. And, and that's both CGIing with you behind the scenes as well as helicopters in front of the camera, painting in helicopters nowadays. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've tried to argue a few times to say, you know, we can do whatever you want us to do for that shot. You don't have to CGI. You'll have the real thing. Uh, it's not a problem. But uh, they get insistent, yeah, let's do the CGI. And then when I see it, I see a CGI helicopter. I know it's a CGI helicopter. Yeah, most people do. Uh, but maybe a lot of the public viewing don't, and they're okay with that. So I mean that uh, is I unfortunately guess, that is extremely true. Yeah, technology is getting better, um, but I know it is. As a matter of fact, directly behind you is a frame. There's a picture of my wife with Jeannie Becker that we did the city TV, and you shot that. They come up to the airport, uh, and you 
landed. I guess they got in and you landed and she and uh, Terry David Mulligan got out of the helicopter and then clipped onto a, a rope. And then for the live, they shot this pre previously. And then for the live show, Rhonda and I slid down as them into the crowd. But it was your, anyway. But, yeah. but oh, the reason I mentioned that is because at the beginning of that shot, they have a CGI helicopter landing on uh, City TV downtown. Yeah. yeah. I hate to say this, Dave, but I didn't know that. I didn't know it was CGI. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. yeah, man. I mean, those drones, they get some, like we, we shot with the drones in uh, inside the hearse. The hern. Or the hern, the hearse. Um, you know, and you just can't fit a helicopter in there. We tried Seriously? Yeah. For real? Yeah. <laughs> we Man, got, we got asked to uh, put a helicopter inside that building, and we just said, no, we, we can't do it. I mean, there's pillars every... Oh, my God. You know? Well, the pillars and all that, but the dust. Oh. Oh, okay. The dust alone would have killed us. That was, that was pretty nasty stuff in there. What the hell did they Jesus. want you to do? Oh, I don't know. It was a feature film. I can't remember what it was. It was years ago, but we, we flew around <clears> that urine area. We did some stuff, and then, yeah, they asked me, yeah, can you fly inside the building? I said, well, I, I'd like to, but I, I'm not going <laughs> to so worry about that. There was a a, cha, uh, a machine on um, Man from Toronto, and, um, uh, you know, the director, I got the idea. Like, I was doing some uh, likely B-roll driving stuff, you know, with a couple other uh, stunters, and we were all over... Ontario this whole day but what like what you said earlier the, the helicopter's up in the air the whole day we didn't have to land it adjust anything wait for a battery you know whatever if the case might be um but I got the idea that the director just loved being in a helicopter there was no he didn't want to do anything else he just he really wanted to be in that helicopter we've well, had those it's fun I mean these <laughs> those big budgets must still want guys like you no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking um, we did a show with uh, Rene, uh, Rene Harlan. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the one where they burnt down the hotel there in Muskoka, remember that? Yes. What's the name of that show? Oh, it's been a I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it. So uh, we have a scene where we're flying downtown Toronto down Bay Street below the buildings chasing a vehicle. And uh, he insisted he had to be in the aircraft. He didn't have to be there. He wanted to be there. <laughs> in cases like that, the less the better. I just want whoever just needs to be there. So me and my camera operator, we can do a microwave relay of the, you know, the images and all that. No, he was in there. He's, he, was, he had to be there. It was, uh, it was pretty exciting, but, you know, that's one of those kind of things. I mean, that is so cool. The long it kiss. It is cool. You must have been, was it, wasn't it? The long kiss goodnight? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you must, uh, every single time you're working with somebody, you, you, this is what you do every day, but every single time, those people must get pretty excited to be on your machine. Uh, maybe not so much machine, but I, I think there's always that extra level when the helicopter's on, on the job, no matter what we're doing, if it's aerials or pitcher vehicle or stunts, 
it adds it just takes it to another level mm-hmm. yeah and i can i can understand that and i kind of feel that when i get there that we're there to to do what we have to do it's not just a regular deal but i i kind of agree mm-hmm. with andrew in that it's not every day that director right gets to climb in beside you or in the back seat and fly around with you so or that, any actor, that excitement or a level day would, player stunt yeah, guy absolutely. or you know yeah or maybe once in a while you have a hair girl going up there i mean i don't know <laughs> <laughs> if it's anybody it'll be a craft service person ah of course yeah, can't forget the donuts hey speaking of that i'm gonna have that butter tart jump in there dive in hey d do you want anything i will come bring it to you if you'd like something all right. All right. Thanks for bringing these again, Dave. This is incredible. It is. This stuff looks awesome. What do I want? Um, we're taking a pause for uh, an Italian Timmy's. I love that. Um, Thanks, Dave. So Sorry, we're, we're, where, where do we go from here, Dave? Like, what, what's happening with your company? Um, you're... Uh, have you any features? In- uh, so far, it's been pretty quiet. Uh, we did an Amazon thing there last week, some kind of uh, like a reality show th- thing there. Uh, seems kind of slow for us right now. Maybe things will pick up this summer. The writer's strike, unfortunately, uh, mm-hmm. that, might, that might hurt us again. And the Directors Guild might go on strike. <laughs> Actors are talking about going on strike. So uh, There's a lot of... Man, and you know, I can't help... <laughs> what have you done there? My, oh my um, god! My my donut is um. That thing looks good though. Wow! Looks amazing. Now I'm afraid of this thing falling apart like that. Um, don't draw attention to my sloppiness. <laughs> no. It's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, COVID. COVID was a bit of a hit on everybody at first. Now there's all these strikes, and I can't help but feel that the strike gives um the execs a little time to get comfortable with using technology it's kind of weird it seems like a catch-22 yeah the ai stuff yeah and if they don't have a requirement for product as they call it you know they're willing to sit back and wait right yeah um that's the thing yeah yeah we're all we're all doing that uh slow right now um, there's a couple of shows that have all their scripts so that they're not uh, writers strike dependent. But um, if that's the right way to say it, <laughs> I'm going to put this down. Boy, you're you're, make, you're butchering that thing, Randy. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good way to use my name. <laughs> that's good. Thing looks amazing, but you lost top the center. I, yeah, no, don't don't have the camera on me right now. <laughs> We also do stuff like sports. We do uh, the, the Grey Cups every year. Oh, I never thought of that. We go up and do the aerials for broadcast. And uh, we've done that all over Canada. All the Every time we go somewhere, we're always there for that. We used to do a lot of hockey stuff during the playoffs. <clears throat> oh, wow. Uh, downtown aerials, and that, that's all us. And uh, so uh, we kind of mix it up that way, too. Do all you guys know each other? You know, all the news choppers and all the... Pretty much. Yeah? Yeah. It's a small, small stuff. Even the film guys, you know, the film pilots. Um, and uh, up here in this part of the world, it was myself working Ontario, 
there was another guy working more or less in Quebec. And in the western part, this, uh, the guy was Jim Filipponi, who had pretty much was the western guy. Did a lot of work out of Vancouver. He was pretty busy out there. He's okay. retired now. But we all had our sort of kind of territory. <clears throat> we all knew each other. We talked to each other, maybe spell off some business, you know. If there's a show oh, yeah, in sure. Vancouver, I would recommend Jim to do the job. Or, I do exactly the same thing with some stunt guys. So I don't, you know, I don't step on somebody else's toes there and let them deal with it. And he'll do the referral this end. And, and we have that, that, that camaraderie there. Oh, that's cool. And the Americans, you know, they've got a pretty closed group of guys. They're, you know, that's what they do. And, and they're pretty, uh, pretty good at that kind of thing. So if you want to do aerials, there's guys who are specific to L.A. And there's guys that are specific in New York, uh, like Al Cirillo and Jim Richards. You know, they're the go-to guys. And um, they're very specialized in their, their things there. Cool. And do you guys do you guys get to communicate while you're up in the air? Hey, hey, Jim, I just saw you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll, I know guys that are flying around. I'll just say, hey, how's it going? Or they do the same with us. But it's That's very cool. short because we don't, don't want to get into it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a closed group of guys. Well, sometimes it's you see you see coppers, you know, parked in a parking lot like this next to each other hanging out. Do you guys ever just fly right next to each other? <laughs> <laughs> Not, or not, hover facing hover, the opposite yeah, directions. Yeah, wave. Not unintentionally. <laughs> we'll do that purposely. That's hilarious. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. Oh, that's the, fun. That's yeah. That, there's got to be like when you guys fly. Uh, I guess, well, the, the, just the distance between the two of them. Anyway, I'm thinking of apocalypse now and shooting another, a camera shooting a. Job yeah. Yeah. We've done a bit of that. We did that well, last week. We we're doing air to air with another helicopter flying around the city and all that. And interesting uh, bit of coordination that goes on with that and talking to pilots, you know, how who's going to do what and how we're going to work this thing here. And there's the comfort factor of how close you can get with the guy you're flying with. I can imagine. And making sure that he's going to do exactly what he will do or when you tell him to, whatever. And, um, you did that on Mayor of Kingstown as well, right? Above the prison? That's right. We did the air to air with, uh, I was on the camera ship. We had our jet ranger there. It was He got shot or something like that. Yeah, yeah they were shooting at him. Yeah, so we did that little gag over <clears throat> top of the prison. We were supposed to do more stuff on that. <clears throat> they, uh, they wanted to bring in two small... Uh, Hughes 500s. Yeah, with, with the, we were all really the, excited for with this. the cannons on the side, the yeah. machine guns. So I was wrangling uh, those two aircraft and starting to mount up. The, we had to get the guns and the approvals and everything else. So it got a little expensive. I think they kind of backed off. But I gave them an alternative to um, use our ship. We did a gag on um, Bulletproof Monk. We had a, a Gatling gun set up on the side of the aircraft firing blanks and uh, we strafed the <coughs> the roof of the um that building on uh cherry Bath street che no on uh, bathurst and <coughs> front uh the the um the food building or something the bread building i can't remember oh i know what you mean though the, the big red building it's old it's not there anymore it's gone but yeah an old building that was empty like a warehouse or something like that yeah so they shot a lot of that show there there's fight scenes and all that kind of stuff so our job was to come in and strafe 
the building with this with this machine gun and they're having a fight scene and all that there's a clip on youtube specifically of the helicopter action okay and it's for real it's Sweet. not it's yeah, i'll write that one down. Uh, actually Bull, bulletproof monk yeah i got the uh, link i'll uh, <laughs> just happen <laughs> yeah. to have it on my phone gosh darn it how did that get there yeah i think there's everybody's gonna go on to youtube and see this i'll, I'll send it to you okay i'll put it up on the yeah on the podcast so cool. we uh dj carson was mm -hmm. pming that job and uh we ended up getting i think frenchy was on that with another guy so he got the actual minigun <clears throat> that they use in the military it's uh i don't remember the caliber but it's a uh, this thing we wired and we mounted on a on a camera mount on one side of the helicopter on my side and then we ran the uh the um the belt with the bullets inside the baggage compartments all contained we wired it into the helicopter so it had power and i pulled the trigger fire this gun a thousand rounds a second <laughs> we uh Got all that sorted out, had it all purpose nicely put together. The guys did a great job, our crew, and, and working with the gun guys, and um, they, they put it all together. We ended up doing a trial down at Leslie Street Spit. Got there, we had a few people sorted out and pulled the trigger for the first time, and it was amazing. Was that Charlie that you were with? No, Frenchy. Oh, oh, at that time. Oh, that was a different one. Maybe Frenchy. I can't remember, but it was the local gun guy that, you know, was always yeah, there. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, DJ had bought, uh, I think, uh, four or 5,000 rounds of ammunition. It was all blanks. So we fire this thing off, and it is stunning. The, the gun muzzle is right beside me, outside the door. The flame comes out right next to me, the smell of gunpowder. And we didn't put on, there's a, I guess like a, a collector for the, um, for the shells. Okay. Oh, I didn't, okay, cool. We didn't put it on. Oh, okay. <laughs> So there's this shower of <clears throat> shells coming out of the gun. And it's just amazing. So everything works fine. Everything is perfect. So on the day, I do my thing over top <laughs> of the building there, and then I fire the gun off. And it's just, and all the shells are on the roof, and they're on the floor, on the ground, on the street. And the noise is unbelievable. The cops freaked out, apparently. They heard this, this gun going off. They, weren't, they didn't know. I can <laughs> only imagine. It is unlike anything you've ever heard of, and the whole helicopter's kind of got a buzz to it as it's going off. And uh, I'm thinking, who would want to stand in front of the real thing? I just don't understand that. It yeah. is incredible. Yeah, but it was. Uh, and we, and I, so I proposed to Alex that we do with this gun. I said, I got all the approvals, I got everything we need to do. We just need the gun, and. Uh, trying to describe how we could come off the river nice and low over top of the wall and just let it go, right? They would have been amazing. I was a part of most of those Man. meetings. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, we were so looking forward to this happening. Yeah, we could have yeah. done a real nice job there. But by the same token, <clears throat> I'm in the compound of in, in the yard of the prison, and we had 75 military guys along the wall with machine guns, and they started firing. And I'm you're in the yard while they're firing down on you? And I had the exact same thought. Who would ever want to be on this end of that? Oh, fuck. In real life. Exactly. Like it's mind-bending. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, Charlie Taylor talking about the amount of money they wanted to spend on the ammunition for these 
the blanks. Choppers. <clears throat> yeah, and he said <clears throat> some, somewhere uh, like 300 grand or... Like it's just something, insane. Something just silly. Give or take a dollar or two. Um, huh. but we, I we, wish. We used hundreds of guns and thousands and t thousands of rounds through this show. And we were so looking forward to the helicopter thing. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the first things we talked about yeah. right was, before we started shooting. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was disappointed because <clears throat> I thought we could have done well there, but uh, they decided not to do that. Was it just a money thing? I heard that it was probably uh, too much for the show. Not money-wise, but Yeah, just, season two would have been a lot boring. Just the visual boring. of the helicopter coming in, unleashing this Gatling gun over top of the crowd. I don't. I think that's where they drew the line. Mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. A bit of an ethics type we of We didn't thing. have much, uh, many lines on this show. So, I, I, they, they, what do you mean? Well, it drew the line. Like, oh, we, I see. We don't want to go above. Wow. Yeah. We have 75 yeah, guys with machine true. guns. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Man, I'm crazy. sorry, my mind's going back to that <laughs> helicopter cock. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. So what's the what if if I'm young and want to fly helicopters, I mean uh maybe in the film business, uh some future technology seems to be making its way in, like the drones and stuff. Um, but is there still a very relevant world? I mean, I see helicopters every day, but, you know, has it slowed down or is it still going? Is there a future? There's still, there'll always be a, a requirement for a helicopter in a variety of things. And that's what's interesting about the helicopter world. There's a lot of applications you can get involved in, depending on your ambition, your skill, uh, how hard you work. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's, that's the only restrictions you have is your own personal, personal thing. Uh, you know, there's uh, corporate work, there's film work, there's fire work. You can work offshore. You can uh, do all kinds of stuff, depending where you, how how you want to apply yourself. Yeah, a friend of mine is a is a, nor a nurse that does the northern <clears throat> territories, and uh, you know gets dropped off on mountainsides and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So I, I yeah I guess that kind of thing obviously is going to be available for a very long time and a lot of it is not always that you know that intricate it's usually what we call meat and potatoes work you know you're doing a um, a scheduled uh, air ambulance job you know you're working mm -hmm. so many days on and off and same thing over and over again uh offshore work where you're flying guys to the rig back and forth and that's it but it's 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 all helicopter stuff it's all skill level and again what you want to do in my case, I try to be as uh, have as much variety as I could stand, you know, be able to do all kinds of stuff, not be an expert at anything. Which you've done. This, you've had that. Uh, no real expertise, but be able <clears> to, <throat> if I have to lift an air conditioner on top of a building, I can do that. I can, I can do a film shoot. I can fly a, a guy with suits to his cottage. Um, you know, be, That's what uh, I would like. <laughs> I was, yeah, you know. <laughs> so that that's that's the part that I've enjoyed about about that industry. And again, like I said, you know, whatever whatever suits you. And I imagine just being in the air must be a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's the addiction. Yeah, whether I can it's only an imagine. airplane or a helicopter or whatever, it, there's nothing like it. I you have desired a, it myself as since young. You get a taste of that; it's really hard to get it out of your system. 
think retirement is not something I'm looking forward to, but uh, it's just a whole different perspective that it's not very common. You know, you're used to ground level stuff. But now retiring from the job is one thing, but you'll never retire as a pilot, maybe, or will you? I don't know. We'll see when I get there. Interesting. I imagine it's pretty costly to fly. Yeah, I can only imagine. It's an expensive proposition. Um, You know, if you privately, you can do it. If you have a budget, you know, you can work around that kind of thing. Uh, There's ways of dealing with it. Uh, Ownership is another, another, another level of uh, activity. That's not cheap. Again, depending what you have. So the best way to do about it is to do that as a as an occupation. So just offhand, hmm. a, um, a five or six, seven passenger jet ranger, what's that worth? Uh, you're starting at a million. We should go splits. A few Bitcoin. You know, wow. used uh, used uh, long <clears throat> jet ranger, long ranger. You know, looking at a million, and it goes from there. Uh, well, and then once you own it, there's. You know those, yeah. Main, what what are the, what are the costs? What kind of thing are you paying for? Uh, just in our case, uh, a twin star. It's uh, insurance is about twenty five thousand a year, just insurance alone. Jesus, wow! Fuel is uh, about two dollars a liter. It burns um, four hundred liters an hour. Wow. Uh, maintenance costs. Uh, I don't have a good number on that, but <laughs> just for our sake of argument, every hour is 1500 bucks an hour. Okay. And that covers replacement, labor, things like that. Wow. Crap. Holy so crap. Like, if a young person wanted to get involved with helicopters, um, what would they do? Where would, um, it's costly. You get a, Hundred hours or what is it? So the course, the way it works, you go to a flight school, a helicopter flight school, and I think the minimum course is a hundred hours of flying. Okay. Then you've got ground school to do. And some guys are able to pull it off in a hundred hours. Some guys need more time, depending how how good you are. And then that's just the basic basic course. Then you, if you want to advance, you do a, maybe an endorsement qualification on a bigger air helicopter like a jet ranger or something like that that make you a little bit more uh hireable if when you want to get a job but you come out of there just knowing the basics pretty much taking off flying around landing and that's about it wow and uh then you're out looking for a job is is it's expensive to Hmm. spend that hundred hours yeah it is um can't i don't know I i haven't I don't yeah. know what the numbers would be, but it's it's a it's a major investment. I compare it to if you're going to invest to be a doctor or a lawyer, uh, it's the same level of uh, investment in your well, that's career. That's interesting, and it's a career. It's not something you do on the side or a day job or whatever. It's a full time career, so you're going to put your money into that so that you're that's what you're going to do. Yeah, we know a few people that have done it. Yeah, and they're helicopter pilots. But do not work helicopters. Which is fine. I mean, privately, yeah. if you want to just buzz oh, they around. Oh, I don't even fly anymore. <clears throat> you know, uh, if you have the money to, to afford that kind of thing, that's great. But most, most of the guys that do that, it's a career choice. Yeah. And uh, you treat it as such and you invest accordingly uh, so that you can, you can have a, a full-time career. 
Yeah, very interesting. It's fascinating. I was once told that flying a helicopter is like balancing a spinning basketball on top of a spinning basketball. Oh, I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds too complicated for me. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say, uh, Dave, plug uh, your company, anything else that you do? Oh, geez. Yeah, let's tell the world. Uh, you know what? I'm not a good promoter, self-promoter. Um, I let everybody else do that for me. Well, we will. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> I've had success with that, so I'm kind of used to that kind of thing. You know. You know. You know. You know who I like to promote is the, uh, and I think I mentioned it before, is the the uh, the stunt community, the stunt guys. Um, right on. And I feel a, if you don't mind me saying so, an affinity with you guys because we sort of work on the same angle, you know, performing and all that working together and uh i've had a lot of support over the years from the guys and you know how they represent us mm -hmm. with production and all that and for that i'm really really grateful that made the big difference for us and of all the stuff that i've worked on jobs you know doing other things the most gratitude i've had is hanging out with those guys or you guys cool yeah no i understand um it's it's been it's been great but the res the respect is reciprocal um that's why you're here. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't do as much as I've done without that kind of background support. It's not just me. It's that whole team effort mm -hmm. that we put together. We seem to work well. We all know what we have to do. We all have the same uh, goals in mind, you know, to work professionally, effectively, and, and be safe about it. And... Uh, the other jobs I've done, not always the same thing. It's a it's a tug of war sometimes, but I never had that issue on a film shoot, and uh, and uh, that's that's made like I said the difference in everything that we've ever done. So that's great. Yeah, I love that. Well, just actually, I have one more thing that I'd love to bring up for sure is, um. You know what? 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 Whatever um, anyone's opinion is, doesn't matter. There's this idea that um, that we have to protect our our world, our globe, and there's electric cars and all this uh, coming out and whatever. Um, is that is aviation in any way a part of that group? Oh, let's talk about religion. Let's go. Or, oh no! Let's politics. go, baby. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Are there going to be electric helicopters? Realistically, I don't think so. I will never get on one. You know, it, yeah, I, it's a, I, it seems a little crazy. Not but. not to the level that we have, you know, that we perform with or achieve. Not, I don't think so. Okay. Hmm. I mean the. Uh, it's a great way to promote technology or develop technology. Well, would it ever be as effective as at what we're at? I, I just personally, I, I can't see it with what I know about that stuff. I don't, I can't see that happening. But I suppose there's somebody in a university that knows a little more than we do, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, but... there's all kinds of stuff about that. But I mean, some of the things that we do, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. There'll always be a requirement for jet fuel and turbine engines and all the stuff that goes along with that. Pretty yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. 
I mean, unless they're able to travel us that fast and over big oceans and all that stuff from down on the ground without, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, yeah, like I said, I, I just don't see that happening. I, I can't see it. Even, even fixed wing, uh, you know, an electric airplane, the, the amount of power that's, that's required to fly, it's, um, I can't see that happening with the technology that we have now, that, you know, be able to do that electrically. I just don't see that. You could buzz around maybe for a few minutes, but no. Well, that's they, they have they have ads. I've seen ads for these little hover bikes. You know, like these personal uh, drones that you can sit in, and they tell you they can fly for ten minutes or twenty minutes. Yeah, they have a a mile. I mean, that tech will get better at some point, but you know, I mean, we, we I remember having my first cell phone. Yeah. You know, which is literally just over 20 years ago. It's been barely two decades, and we already have. I can I can call call Dave while he's in his chopper on it. Look at his face. You know, mm -hmm. it, it. I don't know. You know. Uh, yeah. Somebody out there can speak, I guess, to this kind of thing uh, brilliantly, but um, it does sound like it's so far away. If maybe, at all, yeah. Maybe nuclear if power it might work better, but I don't know about flying around with a nuclear reactor in the back of of, a, of your helicopter. Yeah, it sounds a little freaky. <laughs> yeah, you can go faster. Who knows how they'll harness that? Um, well, Dave, um, while you're hanging out in front of all these signatures, um, you interested in signing our table? Sure, we I would love that. that. Yeah. And as as you can see, uh, <clears throat> if you uh, feel so inclined, you can draw a little picture. Yeah, and you don't have to be in this area. Everyone navigates there, I suppose, but you can be wherever you want. Let me see what I can do here. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, for anyone listening, rather as opposed to watching on YouTube, um, you're this... about to hear a marker scratch on the table. Yeah. I think the one thing I wanted before I walk away today is... Uh, express some gratitude to my family for supporting what I've been doing all these years. Absolutely. Um, you know, my, my wife, my daughters, my parents, uh, they've put up with a lot of stuff that we, you know, I've been through and all that. And I want to make sure they understand that, uh, I owe a lot to them. That's, uh, that's kept us going all, all these years. So absolutely. Nicely yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, How many daughters do you have? I have two. Two daughters are uh, the apple of my eye, I guess you want to call them. Yeah, man. They're good girls, and they've done really well, and uh, they're good. They had no but like you just said, they've had to put up with you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No chore in that one. <laughs> what we got? That's the only way Andrew flies. Flying high, baby. <laughs> I just hope I don't make any spelling mistakes. Yeah, Dave, have you ever hot boxed your helicopter? No. <laughs> <laughs> Put on some ACDC and. Yeah. <laughs> Man, unfortunately, I imagine someone out there's doing that. Flying high. Oh, look at the helicopter. Beautiful. There you go. Man, thank you. 
What a pleasure. Thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure, guys. I hope, uh, hope this works for you. Oh, yeah. This, uh, this it was just great seeing you. Yeah. <laughs> it was great that you're here. Thanks. And uh, and I tore apart that that tart. That tart. Just yeah, tried. well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that tart I, tore I, apart I, I butchered you. it. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Dave. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. It was well, awesome, you. man. Thank you. Okay, cut it, D. <laughs>